Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, again, we welcome you. Allow me to mention just a few things that would be helpful for us. I want to first mention, if any of you go to msn.com and just scroll what the latest news events, I thought it was real interesting that today, as much of America is thinking about Katrina uh, striking a year ago this week, they headlined a story today, and maybe it would still be on tonight, but I know early this morning they headlined a story that was about the forgotten victims of Katrina. They showed 16 pictures and told where those people lived. Four of the individuals that they said were forgotten victims lived in Purlington, Mississippi, which is where many of you have gone down and worked regularly. And when you think about the town of Purlington right now, only having about 1,200 residents, it really is amazing uh, in that aspect that four of them are mentioned from that one area. And it also makes us aware of the fact that a lot of wisdom was put into place to choose that to be the location that we invest a lot of our time and our energy and our money. And we want to thank Bobby Coles for being such a major part of that and continues to lead the way so far as from this congregation involved in that. And if you would like to go and be a part of that work, that work is uh, charted to continue for many months to come. And the good news with that is that very recently we uh, have been able to acquire a building there and hopefully in the next uh, few weeks and months, there will be a building of the Church of Christ there. It's being redone right now. And uh, there is no congregation of the Lord's Church in Purlington except for the work that is underway right now of that being uh, organized and constructed and etc. And so continue to pray for that work and also continue to pray for the many individuals. It is amazing to see that uh, as you scroll through that. Uh, be sure and look that up tonight and just see individual after individual that's still living in the RVs a year later. A second thing I'd like to mention to you is there will be a church that will be renting the wedding chapel, we're told, uh, as early as this coming Sunday. And so we're asked, of course, not to park in that parking area uh, this coming Sunday. And I suppose that could very well be true on Sunday night and Wednesday night. We'll have to just find out what their time schedule is. But... Please, uh, next Sunday morning, use our parking area or uh, keep in mind on the other side of the wedding chapel, there's a very small parking area right in front of the 2040 building. That is ours. And then that long parking area that goes almost all the way to the traffic light, that is ours also. So uh, if you have a class over there, there will probably be a Bible class meeting over there next Sunday morning. If you'd like to park in that area, uh, feel free to do so. If you don't mind walking, feel free to do so. And that would help our area over here have more parking spaces available. Also, we appreciate each of you teachers. We had a tremendous teacher appreciation banquet uh, this weekend. And again, we do appreciate each teacher and look forward to this coming Sunday as we begin a study together. Uh, what a pleasure it's going to be to be able to go into our fall quarter where we all study, all as adults study the same thing and even concentrate at least on the same subject during the uh, worship hour on Sunday morning. And so be sure and be reading your book this week. If you want to read things that will pertain to the sermon, it will be out of chapter 1 in that book. And if you want to read things that pertain to the class that you attend uh, Sunday morning, that will begin in chapter 14. And so you might want to make a note of that and, and let's all 
uh, get as involved as we can in this study. And let's make sure that it's one that we grow together in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to remind all of the parents and teams of the meeting that will take place immediately after services. It will be the showing of the videos again, the video presentations of the Drive for Success. This was a day that we had last May, and it was a tremendous day. It was very, very successful. And on this day, there were a couple of videos that were about 20 minutes long each, and they were shown, and there were many favorable comments. Even though you're not going to feel good after you watch them, you're going to be reminded of some very, very important things. And so uh, the opportunity is available for us tonight. Uh, If you uh, would take advantage of that to be reminded of the great responsibility we have to deal responsible as we share the roads with others. If you listen to talk radio or watch any kind of daytime TV or even stayed awake during Psychology 101, you might remember the terms passive-aggressive. You see, someone that's passive-aggressive, they're ones that they don't do very well verbally. They just tear things down. They tear relationships down. If someone is passive-aggressive in the workplace, they destroy good, strong, working relationships. If they're that way in the family, they'll literally unravel the family. And so we think about just the aspect of passiveness. And we say, okay, what would a passive person be? And it's interesting that oftentimes when we study the topic of meekness, oftentimes people would describe meekness as if you thought they were describing passiveness. Some would describe meekness as one that just kind of lays down as a doormat and they let anything happen around them. They'll give in to anything, to not take a stand. In other words, to be spineless, to be weak etc. Friends, tonight I want us to look at a topic that is one, to be honest, you're probably not going to hear in the secular world. You may very well live for the rest of your life before you hear anyone in the secular world say, I hope you'll work on being meek. It's probably not going to be said. But you know what? As Christians, it's a topic we ought to be very well aware of. We ought to be able to look in the scriptures and know who are the individuals that were meek. What does it mean to be meek? And what is the benefit of my life if I, too, am a meek individual? First, I'd like for you to just think with me. And we'll kind of mention a few passages and then we'll go into greater depth. When I turn over to Acts, the 16th chapter, this is where the Philippian jailer, has been converted, but you remember, in order for him to be converted, they first were thrown into jail. As Roman citizens, they should not have been put into jail without a rightful cause. And so now, after all this has taken place, they're ready to quietly let them out of the back door, so to speak. And in verse 37 of Acts, the 16th chapter, Paul says unto them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison, and now do they thrust us out privately? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. Now, does that sound like a meek individual to you? This is Paul being released from prison. And you can imagine the doors being open and him staying in there. And that doesn't say that that's what the setting was. I just want you to imagine it that way. The doors are open and he's sitting there saying, nope, 
You made a big public affair of putting us in here. You didn't have the right to do it. You're not going to quietly march us out the back door. You think Paul was meek? Friends, we see all throughout the scriptures that Paul is meek. Does that violate your definition of meekness? How would you define meekness? Flip over a few pages of 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. Let's look at another passage where Paul, the setting here, was being accused of being spineless. In other words, they literally, in this passage, were saying, when Paul is to our face, he won't speak very strong. But when he goes out a distance from us, he'll write back letters that are very strong letters. And so Paul writes pretty much an entire chapter saying, that's not at all the way it is, but I can assure you the same power, speaking about the power of the Holy Spirit that gives me the authority to speak with power in a letter is going to give me the authority to speak with power face to face the next time we see each other if you don't straighten some things out. Now, where would he get such authority to speak in such a bold manner to these individuals? Let's read verse 1 together, 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 1. Now, I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base, or in other words, humble among you, but being absent and bold toward you. Now, what authority did he say this in the following things that we gave reference just a moment to that he did say? Notice the authority, he says, is by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. Can one speak boldly in the meekness of Christ? Can one speak boldly in the gentleness of Christ? Absolutely. You see, if my idea of meekness is some kind of weakness, I've totally misunderstood meekness. If you want to drop back in Numbers, the 12th chapter, we read about probably one of the strongest leaders of his day. And the truth is, perhaps, one of the strongest leaders that's ever lived. You remember Moses spent 40 years in Pharaoh's palace and then went out and lived taking care of sheep for 40 years. That last 40 years, he grew as a man. No doubt there was growth in the other years, but he grew in a tremendous fashion as a man and as a leader. You see, the last 40 years of his life, he led about what some would say was definitely hundreds of thousands of individuals. And some have even said maybe between one and two million individuals he might have been leading about. A courageous and powerful leader when this very verse was being written. We're in Numbers, the 12th chapter, in verse 3. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Probably the greatest leader of his day. And what else does it say about him? The very meekest man on the face of the earth. Could it be that the strongest man alive today would also be the meekest man alive today? That's what was said of Moses here, if in fact we agree that he was probably one of the strongest leaders. Let's look at one more example before we start defining meekness. In Matthew, the 11th chapter, we read that beautiful invitation that Jesus gives at the very end of Matthew, the 11th chapter. Remember where he says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Now, verse 29, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. Now, that's beautiful. 
Jesus is giving this invitation. And then he describes his spirit. In other words, he says, I'm of a meek spirit. I'm of a humble spirit. I invite you to come. Now, do you think Jesus became a different person when 10 chapters later, he's weaving a leather whip and he's going into the temple and he's cracking that whip, driving out animals and people and he is flipping over the tables of money exchangers and even the tables that were holding the little doves, he tossed them over to? Can you imagine such a scene? Money clanging all over the floor. Animals being scurried about. People exiting, no doubt, looking very strangely at a man that's cracking a whip. Was he meek? And we know Jesus never sinned. And we know meekness is a qualification of godliness. So you mean to say that Jesus could crack a whip to drive people and at the same time practice meekness. Meekness becomes a very interesting topic when we think about it in this way. I'd like for you to look with me at the next couple of slides to define meekness. The New American Standard Version and the Revised Standard Version both say that it is gentleness. Also, another commentator says... That it is the thought of showing perfect courtesy. Moffat says it is modesty of wisdom. Weymouth says it's unselfishness, humble spirit, and a tender spirit. Aristotle makes an interesting observation of meekness when he says this. Meekness feels anger on the right grounds and against the right person, and in the right manner, and at the right moment, and for the right length of time. Don Loftus, over at the Old Hickory Church of Christ, he makes four interesting statements about meekness after doing a word study on the original language. And these are his four statements. These statements to me are very helpful. Listen to these. Number one, meekness is a soothing quality of words that calms anger. Number two, it's the gentleness of a forgiving spirit and a gentle conduct toward the oppressed. Number three, it's used of animals to tame or discipline an animal. Number four, it's used of perfect balance. In other words, it is the middle ground between too much anger, and no anger at all as a response in an individual's life. In other words, was it right for Jesus to ever feel anger? Yes, he felt anger, but he didn't go to the extreme that his anger led him to sin. But he wasn't one that had no feeling or emotion of all of anger. So where was the Lord in this feeling of anger? He was in the area of meekness where he was properly controlled. In other words, just as you take an animal that perhaps a horse that's never been broke and you see that powerful creature thunder across the ground. You see the strength in its neck and in its muscles. 
Then you allow that horse to spend a year with a trainer. That same animal has just as much speed, if not more. Has just as much strength, if not more. But now it is harnessed under the control of the master. You see, now that animal has displayed a type of definition of meekness. So what is meekness for you and I? Perhaps it's oversimplified. But the way I think of meekness, with all of that considered, is that meekness is a God-controlledness in the way we act and react toward others. You see, it's not that we never feel any emotions, but it's also not that our emotions drive and control us. Meekness is that middle ground. It's that balance where we take a stand and a firm stand for the things that are right. But we take that stand without losing control. As we think about this, I'd like for you to think about the fruit of the Spirit. You know in Galatians 5, we read about the fruit of the Spirit. Just after we read about the works of the flesh. And as we read about the fruit of the Spirit... You'll notice that as it speaks about meekness, that's just one of the qualities of the fruit of the Spirit. I want you to note this. When we think about the fruit of the Spirit, meekness is a part of the fruit. It's not the tree. And it's not what the fruit can do. Let's make sure we're all clear on this. The tree produces the apple that can make apple pie. If we want fruit of meekness, fruit of meekness can only come from a tree of righteousness. And then the question is, if you and I are a tree of righteousness that can produce fruit that would include the characteristic of meekness, what is it that we can make with that? In other words, first thinking about our own lives, if you and I pick an apple from a tree, and then we get to thinking about it, you know, I really wish that that tree would change, and I want to start picking oranges from that tree. Well, that's not going to happen. Unless you get an entirely different tree. The same is true in our lives. If we want to produce different fruit, we're going to have to change our life. We're going to have to live a life, as Galatians 5 said, is led by the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. And those are the ones that can produce the fruit of the Spirit. But listen, I can't have a heart on the inside that is not set upon the ways of God, in some way just allow this fruit of the Spirit to come out. But for most of the time tonight, and and the time that we have left, let's think about this. Here's a righteous individual. They're walking by the Spirit. They're being led by the Spirit, and they're producing fruit. And a part of this fruit is the fruit of meekness. What can you make? What benefit can come about in the life of an individual that has meekness being born in their life. Turn with me, if you will, to our first passage, and it'll be James, the first chapter. We'll look at three different things in the time that we have here that we can do with the fruit of meekness. In James, the first chapter, we're reading 19 through 
22. And some of you probably already noticed I'm reading from the King James tonight because it's a little more consistent using the word meekness uh, as, as we go through our study here. And so in James 1 and verse 19, notice how we have here the responsibility that we have about how we hear and speak and also dealing with wrath. So it's no wonder that as we talk about wrath, the topic of meekness is also going to come up. And so in 19, he says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. We have two ears. Slow to speak, one mouth. But then notice this, slow to wrath. You know, if we could just remember to listen more often and speak less, it'd probably help us in the area of wrath. But now notice what he says about our wrath in verse 20. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. In other words... You say, who's going to control your wrath? I do it the way I want to do it. He says, okay, well, you won't find much righteousness of God in your life because if we do anger the way we do anger on our own, we don't do a good job with anger. Well, how are we supposed to do anger? Do it God's way, through meekness. And when we'll do anger through meekness, we'll do things much better. So let's read this in 21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness... Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. So here's an individual that says, okay, I'm going to try to speak less. I'm going to try to listen more and I'm going to try to control my anger. Because I realize that anger of man does not lead to righteousness. What would that be? That's practicing meekness. What can we do when we're practicing meekness? We have made ourselves ready to receive the engrafted word of God. Friends, without meekness, we're not open students to the Word of God. Do you and I sit down and study the Word of God to try to prove what we've already believed? That's not meekness. You see, meekness is saying, God, I want you to control my life. I put my hands in your life. I put the reins in your hands. Lord, I just want to hear your will. I want to hear your message. I want your will to be done. How could a person's life change if they really, through meekness, began to study the Word of God? The changes we're about to read, you might find a little bit surprised that they're related in this same paragraph here to how our life might be if we really received with meekness the engrafted Word. Skip down a few verses, 26 and 27, and let's see what kind of religion this might produce. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridle not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man religion is vain. You see, we might do a better job of controlling our tongue if we receive with meekness the engrafted word. Notice verse 27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. When we look here and say... What moves some individuals to really take care of widows? What moves some individuals to really take care of orphans? What moves individuals to say, I don't want to get mixed up with the ways of the world? Is it surprising to us that what we read that leads up to this is individuals that with a meek spirit say, I want to receive the Word of God? God's people take care of orphans. God's people take care of widows. God's people keep themselves separated from the world. How do I become one of God's people? With meekness, receive the Word of God. 
Let's go to Galatians, the sixth chapter. In Galatians, the sixth chapter, we see a second benefit of having the spirit of meekness. It is with the spirit of meekness that restoration can be made in in the lives of others. Notice in Galatians, the sixth chapter, verse one, brethren, Galatians six and one, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. I want you to imagine with me for just a moment, three links in a chain. And to understand this verse, and and really to understand it one way, and then to be able to flip it over and understand it in an entirely different way, but still following the links of the chain. It was amazing to me as I studied through this verse recently. I studied this verse many times, and I never noticed how meekness was a link that goes both ways. In other words, we have an individual that's been overtaken in a fault. And we have those that are spiritual, that are the ones that the Lord says, I want you to go and I want you to restore that individual. You know, three weeks ago, we talked about what's a lost soul worth. And this is the topic here. And so you say, okay, I believe that one lost sheep is worth going to the mountain to receive. I believe one lost coin is it's worth sweeping the house. I believe one lost son that comes home is worth uh, rejoicing over. So we say, okay, the one is lost and the one that's spiritual wants to receive them or or wants to restore them. How are we going to do it? There is a link that links them together. And it is the spirit of meekness. The one that is going to restore must go in the spirit of meekness. What does that mean? It's a controlledness. And it's about God's control. In other words, the emphasis then when one goes back is it's not about me and it's not about you in the sense that, hey, look how great I am and I'm on a pedestal and I'm looking down upon you, how low you are in sin. Think what's fresh on our mind as we've been studying through Luke 15. Where's the arrogance when the shepherd found the sheep and he rejoiced and he laid it upon his shoulders and he went back and he called everyone else to rejoice? That's the spirit of meekness. There's no arrogance there. Think about the coin when it was found and she called in her neighbors to rejoice. Think about when the son came home and the father ran. There was no arrogance there that says, son, you don't deserve to come back. Instead, there was a spirit of meekness. Now, let's notice this. Also, going in that spirit of meekness is also related to the last part of that verse, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. This individual that we're going to has been overtaken by sin. Would there be any risk that if you went to them and they were not ready to repent, that they might draw you into their sin? <laughs> no, no, you don't understand. I, I wouldn't be drawn into the same sin. They, why? Why wouldn't you be? They were. At one time, they were spiritual and they were drawn into that sin. And if you go and try to restore them and they're not ready to be restored, they might want company in their sin. What would keep you from falling prey to that same temptation? There's one link that has to be in place, not only to reach the one that has fallen away, but that link also has to be in place to help the one that is spiritual to remain spiritual. That one has to go 
and the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. What is meekness? If we have the fruit of meekness in our life, what can we produce? We can produce a spirit that's ready to learn. We can produce a spirit that's ready to go and to restore people and also protect ourselves as we're trying to restore them. But let's see a final point tonight as we go to 2 Timothy, the second chapter. In 2 Timothy, the second chapter, notice as we read 23 and and following here. And this is a spirit of meekness that helps us instruct those that are opposed to us. Very similar to to what the point we just left. It's almost like a further step that we need to take when we go to that individual. And he says in 23, But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes, and the servant of the Lord must not strive. So we're going to, to try to bring someone to a right relationship with God. And what's one of the things that we need to remember? There shouldn't be any arguing. It's that simple. The servant of the Lord doesn't argue. Could it be said any more plain? How many ways would he have to say it for us to believe it? Someone says, I just can't talk about religion without fighting. You need to be able to talk about it, but no, you don't need to be talking about it if you're going to be fighting. The servant of the Lord doesn't quarrel when it comes to matters of Christianity. Well, what are we going to do? Someone says, I don't understand it. Every time I bring up religion, I always get in a big fight with people. Well, let's read on what we need to do. The rest of verse 24. But be gentle unto all men. Apt to teach. In other words, it's not that you don't ever bring it up. You don't ever do anything. He says, apt to teach. Patient. Here we go. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, preadventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. How do we go to instruct someone? We go in the spirit of meekness. We're apt to teach and we're patient with them. But it doesn't have anything to do with an argument. I really believe that I've seen some people that they could have sat down and studied the scriptures with someone and after that person studied and made their summary remarks, if they would have said, I agree with what the Scriptures teaches, that person would have been disappointed. Because what that teacher really wanted them to say, I was wrong and you were right. If your goal is for someone to say they were wrong and you were right, you're not trying to win a soul. You're trying to win an argument. You're trying to gender up strife and then say, I got the truth on my side. I'm going to win this fight. And that's so ungodly. That has no meekness whatsoever to it. The one that has meekness that instructs others says, you know what? I hope the person never hears what I think because it doesn't matter what I think. Notice there, acknowledging the truth, they'll come to repentance. All we want is for people to see what the Word of God teaches. 
We want them to learn what the truth is so that they'll be pulled out of the snares of Satan. The only way that kind of attitude can be displayed is through meekness. Tonight, I know it's a topic we don't talk a lot about outside of our religious circles, but it's so necessary for us to think about it and talk about it because it has so much to deal with who we are on a daily basis. Yes, we need to be meek people. Now, that doesn't mean we're weak by any stretch of the imagination. It means that we're God-controlled. Now, what benefit does the Lord give us if we'll be meek? The third beatitude, Matthew 5 and 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Notice, God gives the meek the earth. It's not that the meek deserve it or earned it. God's simply saying, I'm going to make a lot of things go right in your life if you'll practice life through a meek spirit. But without meekness, we lose our temper. And if it's carried far enough, we usually lose our jobs and oftentimes lose our friends and even our family. What a blessing it is when we practice life through a meek spirit. Tonight, if you're ready to give your life over to God, if you're ready to say, God, here are the reins, and I submit myself totally to you, that would require a meek spirit, and God would require that for us to come to Him. If you've never been baptized into Christ for the mission of your sins, if you're ready to turn the reins over to God, won't you do that tonight? Or if you have been baptized into Christ and and you've tried to take the reins out of God's hands, and you realize it's time to repent of that and put them back into His hands. If we can help you in any 